This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to ask anything, talk about anything you want to talk about. Um, there are going to be, of course, lots of questions. Every time I lean over, it's to wave at the Instagram followers that are joining me here on the show. Thank you so much for being here. And a way to get a hold of me, very easy. You can either catch me live. That's the best way to do it. You go to Pet Life Radio. You click on shows. You go to scroll down to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. There is a Zoom link there left for you. You can go ahead and join me on Zoom. You can also join me right here on Instagram, Instagram Live, or old-fashioned 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. That's the toll-free number you can get in and talk to me there as well. So, of course, if you have any specific questions or things that have been bothering you, questions you've had during the week, one thing I have to tell you about my week, my week was rather interesting. So, there is a particular surgery I do, and it is, ah, okay, we'll get to that. Fluffs and Scruffs Rescue, best recommendation for fireworks anxiety. So, we'll talk about that in one second. Don't go away. So, anyway, a surgery called the splenectomy. We have to do a splenectomy usually because of a splenic mass, a splenic tumor that starts bleeding. And if you don't remove the spleen to stop the bleeding and ligate all those vessels feeding the spleen, then that dog is going to literally bleed out overnight and unfortunately pass. So Tuesday, I get a client, an appointment comes in. And one of the reasons they came in is, is the dog was just not quite himself. I mean, he was a you know, big dog and he was a little bit lethargic. I immediately look at his gums. His gums were pale. His belly looked a little bloated. I talked about, is this bloating normal? Does he normally look like this? And, um, and uh, the answer was no. I said, okay, let me take an x-ray. I took an x-ray and then went on to do an ultrasound. And I could see a mass on the spleen. I could see a big clump of something. I told him, I said, we need to go in like now. So I uh, admitted the dog, got ready for surgery, opened him up. And sure enough, the spleen had a huge tumor on it. I wouldn't say tumor, a big bleeding area that had ruptured. You could see it rupture. And a lot of the stuff I was seeing were really just major, major clots. I mean, huge clots. So did, removed the spleen, did the clots. I'm always worried about these surgeries for the first 24 to 40 hours afterwards because there could still be a bleed that you don't know about. The liver looked good. Everything looked okay. And there are three possibilities. 70% of them are splenic sarcoma. That is bad. You can buy time with doing the splenectomy, stop the bleeding. But once the tumor's there, it's already started to spread. And it's going to show up in the lungs. It's going to show up in the liver. It's going to be somewhere, maybe anywhere from six to 19 months, 18 months. We're probably going to have to put the dog to sleep. Then you have a splenic hemangioma, which is a benign tumor of the spleen. And finally, a splenic, it's a hematoma. It's like a big blood blister. And those comprise about 30% of the cases. This one honestly looked like one of the latter two. I'm hoping, I haven't gotten biopsy results back, but I'm hoping. I usually do probably about five, six of these a year. Next day, Wednesday, I get a call from a very dear client who actually is, loves me. He sends his dad to me, and this is his friend. And she has a dog he was taken care of, and it, it's just not right. She came to pick the dog up, but just it wasn't right. Almost the same kind of history. Dog is very weak. Long story short, yes, a belly full of fluid, blood. 
again the next day. And I go in and have to do another splenectomy. Interestingly, this one also looked like it was either the hemangioma or the um, splenic hematoma. It did not look aggressive. The rest of the spleen was perfect. So, I mean, first of all, to have two in a row, literally two in two days, when I usually get five or six a year is amazing. And 70% of these are cancer. And to have two of them that hopefully turn out not to be cancer and just to be some, I mean, this is one of those cases and I was going to post about this when I see the dog on a follow-up, is that I often joke, and I'm the first to admit it, I have no ego, that many, if not most of my patients get well in spite of me, not because of me. And you know, the body's amazing. The body's going to heal itself. It just take, You have to just provide support, but not like this. But these two cases where it was these hands and the surgery that actually saved these dogs' lives. And if they come back, not cancer, that's amazing. That is truly, literally a lifesaver. So those cases are amazing. When you know that if it were not for you, that pet wouldn't be here. And those are the best ever. Anyway, I am thrilled. They're both doing great post-surgery. So that's the 48-hour period is over. So the surgery itself was a success. Now we have to wait for the biopsies and see what it is. Anyway, 4th of July anxiety. Well, the short answer is drugs. Now, it is Sunday. And your docs, I'm sure, are closed. Tomorrow's actually the fourth. Most are closed. We're closed. But things like the simple things would be Benadryl. Try an antihistamine that actually has a sedative effect. That could help. That might be the trick. There's a, a paste called Cilio, which is very, very effective. It's dextamethanidine, and that is a really good, it's one of the agents we use for sedation prior to anesthesia or sometimes mild anesthesia. That's effective. It's like a gel that you put on the gums. Again, available for your vet only. If you happen to be on Xanax or Trazodone or Acepromazine or something like that for yourselves, for whatever reason, you don't have to tell me who you are. Try those. The dogs are sensitive. Small dogs, about 0.25 milligrams of Xanax. Medium could be 0.5. Large to one giant would be two. One of my patients is a Great Dane. Uh, lives around the corner from me. He's uh, 168, 70. Something. He's huge. Anyway, he's taking two, two milligrams. He is one big boy and he gets so freaked out. You know, here in West LA, it's already started. They're already, you know, we're hearing the fireworks for the last several days. And so he basically is going to need, he's already needs it. So uh, she's very nervous. So um, yeah, the drug, drugs can be good. I agree. And then, you know, any calming agent, you know, if it's not really that bad, things like valerian, passionflower, chamomile, pot hops, California poppy, all of these natural ingredients are potentially very beneficial too and can really calm down. CBD, CBD can do it too. So there are a number of OTC over-the-counter options that you can try like the natural herbs or the CBD, you can get that over-the-counter, Benadryl, you can get over-the-counter. As far as the drugs, unless you can get someplace really fast that's open today, if your vet's open today, then you can go for that as well. Promethazine, they're all good if you have it. If you have it, then that's going to work. And some dogs are just really, boy, some dogs just don't do well. Now, maybe at the end of the show, if we have time, I'm going to teach you how you can get your dogs to be better with noise phobias. And it's something, believe it or not, not for tomorrow. But for next 4th of July, it'll take about a year to get it. But it's really, really cool. It's the best way to do it. So we'll talk about that. Anyway, I'll be watching for any other questions or comments. So this was really interesting that, you know, you've heard of long COVID. So right, dogs are trained for COVID. And what is long COVID? You would think that long COVID, the symptoms remain, but the disease is gone. It's long COVID. You're not infective anymore, et cetera. Check this out. 
trained dogs trained to sniff out COVID-19, right? There was a research done in Germany where these dogs were able to sniff out people experiencing long COVID. So obviously they think that suggests that there's some sort of volatile organic compounds detected by the dogs that are still prevalent in people that have long COVID. They're no longer infective. You're going to be with them. It's just their symptomology that hangs on. Sometimes it can be a nuisance. Sometimes it's tough. But dogs can detect it. So whatever whatever it is they were detecting, they can detect it even in, in uh, people that have long COVID. When you think about that, that's pretty amazing. Oh, this is also interesting. You know, we always talk about domestication of dogs, right? And we say they basically were domesticated. They shared genetic um, information with wolves. So they probably descended from wolves, uh, you know, way, way back, right? So this is interesting. Dogs may have been actually domesticated twice there was a study of 72 ancient wolf genomes found that the modern dogs harbor DNA from two different lineages. Uh, one is from wolves in Asia and another from uh, wolves in and around the Middle East. So this why maybe why it's been very difficult to determine exactly how dogs descended from wolves. They say they may have been domesticated twice. Then they can either have been bred together to blend the lineages, thus making it a little more challenging to determine, or just domesticated once and then that domesticated one wolf then started breeding with other wolves. So that's why there seems to be DNA coming from both. It's, it's really fascinating when you think about it. But that's a tease. There's no answer yet. I don't know how they're going to get an answer. They'll still be you know, studying and following it. But uh, it is pretty amazing. So one more story, then we'll break for a break. Oh, this is really cool. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff where, you know, veterinarians have always taken a backseat to the MDs. I mean, I know when, you know, I think, I think I've talked this before, but, but, you know, you meet somebody, a lay person, and they hear the term doctor, somebody refers to me as doctor. Oh, so you're a doctor. What do you do? I'm a veterinarian. Oh, so you're not a real doctor. And you want to say, real doctor? Really? Really? You know, it's tougher to get into vet school than med school. Real doctor, my behind. And, um, and now veterinarians are getting more respect because the research coming out of veterinary medicine is now helping human medicine. And it's not that they're testing on animals. This is actual primary research done on animals by veterinarians. And they're saying, oh my God, this could apply to people as well. Oh, let's try it. So meanwhile, that's why my license plate frame says real doctors treat more than one species. I got to you know, give it to these people that are just, you know, oh, you're not a real doctor. Anyway, cell therapy. It eases dementia among dogs. It's an early trial. So basically what they do, they treatment with autologous skin-derived neuroprecursor cells reversed a dementia-like condition in two out of five pets treated and four out of five definitely showed clinically meaningful improvement. That's pretty good, 80%. Again, this is early, early. It's, it's, it's a very small, we're not going to make a publication on five, five animals in the study, but it's a start. So basically, it's, the company is called Skin2Neuron, and uh, the company is doing trials. They plan to start human trials in 2024. So they're doing studies now. So they take precursor, skin precursor cells that are neuroprecursor, and then they end up autologous, meaning they belong to the same patient. They then are going into now uh, into the brain and they're improving whatever it was that are the biggest issue with dementia. What part of the brain is affected? These cells seem to be able to help. And um, just meaningful improvement. Can you imagine what that could do for people? I mean, down the road, I think that's pretty cool. All right, so we are halfway, a little over halfway past our show, through our show. So we're gonna go be right back after these short messages. You guys stay tuned here on Instagram. Mark, it's commercial time. 
And um, I, I'm going to mute Mark, and I'm going to talk to you guys while we're um, while we're waiting. Okay, be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back. You're live with Dr. Jeff. We're over here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff and my Instagram live simulcast. So on the break here at on uh, Pet Life, we were talking to one of my visitors here on the Instagram and about Enzo, her dog, who's a little long hair, Doxy, and um, he is scratching. Now, also, one thing I said mention, Tina, is that when you have a dog that young, let's go back to the food thing. Interestingly, one of the early allergens that can actually affect an animal that young might be food. So it's something to put on your list. If he's, you have to determine what, first of all, I would just change to a different diet just to be safe. I still think it's fleas and pollens, but food is a remote possibility. Look at the proteins that you've been feeding them in the food and you want to switch to a different protein, something that's what we call a novel protein. Novel protein diets are diets that it's a rare protein that they've probably never seen before. Things like rabbit, venison, bison, duck, salmon. So those are rare. Obviously, the most common proteins that dogs have eaten for years are beef, chicken, turkey. So you want to avoid those if you can and go to something that's a little bit more weird. One of the very successful novel protein diets that was huge a couple of years ago until people started up in arms saying, oh, no, you can't kill them. Meanwhile, the country from where this meat came was loving it because they're a nuisance there. And that's kangaroo. That's Australia. And they were loving it. I'm like, yes, take these weird animals, crazy animals off our hands and put them into pet food. So no, but uh, too many, there was an outcry. But like what? It's not okay to put a, a bison or a deer, a girl venison in your food, but it's not good to uh, to do a kangaroo. I mean, really? But that is something that uh, seems to, to be also a very novel protein. Oh, a defiant poop eater. Okay. <laughs> Asking for a friend. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Uh, you know what they say about people? They say, oh, no, I'm just, I'm just calling it for a friend. Anyway, so one of my dogs still eats poop. Not often, but does. Hold on. Yes, ZD, New York Yankee, seven, chimed in here. And it's true. ZD is one of the best hypoallergenic diets on the market. It doesn't even have whole proteins. It has protein fragments. So from the fragments, which are non-antigenic, the animal is still getting its basic amino acids that it needs for protein. And it is very, very effective. It is expensive. And uh, sometimes hard to get, but yes, Hills ZD, ZD Ultra uh, is a great food for hypoallergenic diet. Okay, poop eating. So there are a couple of ways to do it. We call that, by the way, coprophagy. Coprophagy is dogs that eat their own poop or not. Now, I have my theory. It doesn't always hold up because it's mine, but I find that female dogs that are coprophagic usually are eating their own, and male dogs that are coprophagic 
are eating others, like on a walk or if you have two dogs at the house. And here's my theory, take it for what it's worth. And again, this is, it's not exclusive at all. I mean, there are many male dogs that will eat their own as well. But I found just that the statistically, more females are going after their own, more males are, are eating dogs on a walk, other dogs poop at the dog park, etc. So if you think of in evolutionarily, and as dogs were out in the wild, a mama dog knew that the smell of the stool was an attraction for the predator. So what did mama do? Mama ate her own poop and the poop. She cleaned up her puppies to basically eliminate the smell. Males, on the other hand, in their evolutionary game, they wanted to eliminate the competition. So they wanted their smell, but they didn't want the others. So therefore, they would eat the other dog's poop to basically hide the evidence. So their poop was the only one that was there. So, so my theory goes. You want to break it down, break me down. I don't really care. But I've just noticed why is it that more and more dogs that I, male dogs, seem to be eating others. I said, maybe, maybe that's it. Who knows? It would make sense. Doesn't it make sense? So I don't know. And okay, so for the poop eater, number one, coprophagy. Uh, there are some products. One is called Forbid. It's a hydrolyzed vegetable protein powder, very safe, that imparts some taste to the stool that dogs find objectionable. I have no idea why regular poop without Forbid isn't objectionable enough. Whatever, <laughs> to each his own. Dogs do like it. So try Forbid. It's available over the counter, online, through your veterinarian. I find it to be fairly effective. Now, if a dog is eating other dogs' poop, if you have multiple pets, then make sure you put the Forbid in their food as well, even though they're not having a problem, but you need to impart that same objectionable taste to the other dogs in the house. Now, if that doesn't work, you can always spike the poop. And by that, I mean, you have to make a mixture of the hottest stuff you can come up with. I mean, wasabi, hot salsa, chili peppers, you name it, make it so it's really objectionable. And then what you do is let the poop sit there, keep your dog away, and then go out when the dog's not around and put some of this stuff on the poop. Now, in order to be really effective, and this is the dirty trick you have to do, is you have to take some of this mixture of all the hot stuff that you've come up with, and you have to put it directly on your dog's tongue. The dog needs to taste it full strength, all right, to see how bad it is to know, and they smell it, to know that when they go near that poop and they pick up that scent again, they're going, I'm not going there. So it's spiking the poop, see if that helps. If not, you just need to be very good at going outside and picking up the poop before the dog gets to it. So you got to watch them when the dog poops, you go run out there, pick it up, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, it seems like it's Murphy's law. The more a dog is coprophagic, the more it wants to lick you in the face when it comes inside. So thank you very much. But it's, it's like, I get all the time. I get, you know, people, dogs lick me all the time. And um, so someone comes in, I right away go to the dog. I, oh, God, you're so cute. And he's licking me in the face. I said, so what are you here for today? Oh, my dog is coprophagic, eats his own poop. Oh, now you tell me. You're going you're gonna to tell me as soon as I walk in, I don't let him do that. He eats his own shit, you know. Anyway, so that's that during my life. But you know what? I guess the saliva, I don't, you know, sometimes you can smell it. I don't even smell it. Then again, my nose is so bad at this point from just all the bad smells I get. People say, oh, don't you smell it? It's terrible. I say, oh, I can't smell it. I guess, I'm, you know, it's like that background now. It just comes, it's there. So, okay, let's see. My hero rescue male probably is on Brevecto and Howard Guard. I am concerned about raising the risk of cancer. I realize that these medicines return are their studies. So here's a study about using heartworm medication and Brevecto, which is a really good flea and tick medication about causing cancer. You know, 
I will tell you that one of my dear friends, colleagues, former, he's now emeritus, chief of parasitology at Kansas State University, nothing goes out onto market before going through his lab. And um, I talked about these things all the time. I talked about the seizure threat that we hear from the isoxazolines. And um, uh, isoxazolines are the Brevecto, Credilio, Semperica, Nexgard, and they're very, very effective. And might there be a link? They've never shown that it causes the seizures, but it does show that if a dog already has a history of propensity towards seizures, it may stimulate seizure activity. And then one, just because one does, doesn't mean the other one will. So there's a lot of unknown there. As far as cancer, I have not seen anything that was peer-reviewed scientific saying that these things cause cancer. I will tell you this, HeartGuard, now Brevecto, the isoxazolines are relatively new. HeartGuard has been oh, over 20, 25 years on the market. And I would imagine that if there were direct links to cancer from any medication after this long, it would not be on the market anymore. FDA would be right in there and just blowing it out of the water. So I just don't see that one as a problem. And I've had animals, I mean, on HeartGuard forever without a problem. So if you don't mind, if you see legitimate data, not someone online, you know, empirical with no scientific backing, but if you see something that is, is in a peer-reviewed scientific journal that is linking these things to cancer, would you please send it to me so I can see it? And then maybe we can have a different discussion and I'll do some homework on my own and we'll go from there. Sweet going in is bitter going out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So um, anyway, I think that's all we have time for today. Ask questions. Uh, oh, Interceptor versus HeartGuard makes no difference. They're both excellent. And now if you are on an isoxazoline and your dog is doing well and you want to add a heartworm preventive, two of them, Semperica has Semperica Trio and Credilio has Credilio Plus. And the Trio and the Plus, respectively, have added heartworm prevention and actually parasite prevention as well. So intestinal parasites. So uh, I know that. So anyway, keep that in mind, if you will, uh, if you want to get like one pill. Now, the only thing is Brevecto is 12 weeks, whereas the HeartGuard and all the others are 30 days, four weeks, four, a little four weeks. So they so far don't have one that you can do for 12 weeks. So I love Brevecto. It's good. As I said, it's good for 12 weeks. If it's working, use it. And just every month, just add on the, a little chewable. I mean, HeartGuard, Interceptor, they're chewable, they're treats. They're, it's so easy. And uh, ah, this dog is on Semperica now. Very good. I agree. I like Semperica. And if you are thinking that you needed heartworm prevention as well, get Semperica Trio next time you order. And um, that will give you heartworm prevention. Now, for those of you who do not haven't started heartworm prevention yet and are thinking of doing it now, for whatever reason, you're seeing a lot of mosquitoes, it is highly recommended before you start prevention to have a heartworm test first. You want to get rid of the adult worms before you start prevention. So if your dog is heartworm positive, it should be treated first for the heartworms. It's a tough treatment, but it really should be done. It's made a little bit easier lately with imidacide and uh, can be now treated as an outpatient. Usually for the first two days, the first two shots, you do it at home and then you follow up like a month later. But that might be something to uh, consider before starting a heartworm preventative. All right. So that's all we have time for today. Next week, we're on, Mark, correct? Yep. All right. So we'll see you here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets, Dr. Jeff. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel, 9 a.m. here in the West, noon in the East, and anything in between. I'll stick around here for another few minutes here on Instagram in case you have any last questions. Anyway, have a great fourth, everybody. Keep it safe. Keep the fatty foods away from your pet. Keep the corn cobs away from your pet. Make sure they have their ID, collars, ID tags, microchip in case they get out. 
If you want to kind of get them quieter, put them in a room somewhere where you can put a TV on. Dogs like classical music, play classical music. Anything that might calm them down, keep them out of harm's way would be recommended. If you already have one of the meds we talked about earlier, feel free to use them. Again, you have the pharmaceuticals, the prescribed medications, your your Xanaxes, your acepromazine, promethazine, trazodone, all those. You also have the over-the-counter calming agents. You have CBD, you have Benadryl or chlortrimeton, chlorpheniramine, also a drowsy antihistamine. And of course, your natural things like valerian, passionflower, chamomile, California poppy, hops, etc. So have a safe fourth, everyone. Have fun. Enjoy your barbecues. Enjoy the fireworks. And we'll see you here next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.